Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I am John Negroni from the Internet California, and from the Internet Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also writes about film for the playlists, the young folks, We Got This Covered, Comfort Film, so many websites I lose track every week. It's Will Ashton. Hello. And from the broadband basement, our sound master, Maverick Hines, is back from summer vacation. Maverick Hines, welcome back. How's your tan? Is this real? Am I here right now? Yeah, I don't. I'm surprised too. I thought you were just gonna walk away. Yeah, I should. That would have been a good prank if, like, I told you I was gonna be back. You were already, and I was like, "Hey guys!" And then I just left the house. Oh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> would have just been another day for me. Yeah. So, Maverick, like, where have you been? What, yeah. Explain so, to the fans. yeah, I don't know uh, what the fans have. I don't know what's been said since I took my small break because I don't listen to the show. Um, We've been doing excuses, you know, like weekend at Bernie's, like trying to cover for you. Yeah, I've just been asleep with sunglasses on. on. With two girls, yeah, same dance. No, so uh, yeah, guys. I mean, I'm really excited to be back. It was a uh, couple of crazy and stressful months for my wife and I. I had uh, a friend of mine and an uncle pass away in the same week, so I just decided it was time for me to take a little bit of break and kind of recenter with the craziness of some new job stuff it was just kind of traveling too yeah yeah, it was just one of those things where like everything kind of just happened at once um and i decided it was time to take some just some personal mental health time and and get recentered and back in and uh, i've been talking to john the whole time and we've been secretly plotting my return and stuff like that so i'm very (laughs) excited seen a lot of movies no, I am behind on a lot of stuff that I was actually really excited to see, too. It was like the worst time for me to, yeah, to right. do this. So you didn't see Ant-Man and the Wasp. Didn't care about that as you much. You didn't see Skyscraper. Wasn't, oh, I was totally wrong. I'm so glad I took the break when I did. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, I'm very excited to be back and start hanging out with you guys again. And you can hear my uneducated guesses on opinions and copying their scores on movies. So Yeah, I was trying to think, like, okay, so I think you have been gone since the beginning of June. So it's been like six to eight weeks. Somewhere around so there, you, yeah. So Incredibles 2. You were excited about that, right? I was excited for Incredibles two i think i missed eighth grade i think oh, i missed man. equalizer two i don't know if you guys talked yeah, about you were, you were excited about that we talked about it i think last week right? yeah yeah i mean i wasn't like over the moon for it because i didn't see the first one but it just looked like a cool movie you can still catch it um, i'm trying to think of any other ones that i missed that i was really excited to talk were about. you you were here for deadpool right yes yeah. i think deadpool was one of the yeah. last ones i did before yeah. but yeah anyway i uh i'm excited to be back thanks for thanks for uh, being patient with me guys and uh i'm, I'm excited to to be back on the squad and uh like i said just i'll take a guessing. moment to thank you to all of our if you're listening everyone who has uh filled in for maverick over the last eight weeks lots of people have stepped up yeah um oceans eight that was another one hereditary that was the one no we talked i was on hereditary you were on hereditary i saw it with you it must i don't think you talked about it yeah you haven't talked about it. i don't oh. know how you feel about that movie oh that's my favorite movie of the year so far oh, oh man, same here like, maverick well, yeah, yeah. Eh, I didn't love it, but you know, well, we'll talk about it at the end of the year conversation. Uh, but yeah, once again, thank you to everybody who stepped up. Yeah, thanks uh, Alicia everyone. Grouso, Kimber Myers, especially they were on multiple episodes. How did our uh, all amazing women episode go? Oh, ladies' night was a resounding success. We're obviously going to do it again. That's my crowning uh, achievement Frederick on this podcast. Did a great job on that too. <laughs> um, so many people: Jake Holland, Skylar Schuler. I, I'm going to forget somebody, so I'll stop there. But like. So many people stepped up. So thank you, yeah. everyone, for, for helping us out and filling out the third chair. Thanks for being willing to pop in with very little explanation, too. I didn't really, like, 
say, hey, I'm going to be gone for a minute. I just disappeared for eight weeks. So thanks, everyone, for kind of covering my butt and making the yeah, podcast you, a little bit smarter. You're trying to deny, too, that people didn't miss you, but we had comments. There was yeah. one comment from James. He's my hero right now. I think about him. <laughs> I've actually framed the comment uh, where he asked where I was. So, like, I love you. Um, everyone else, you're on thin ice. All right. Well, um, this is going to be uh, a big episode because we're talking about Mission Impossible Fallout. What a week to come back. One of our, one of our big, uh, highly, highly anticipated movies of the summer. And uh, th- that's going to be a great conversation for you, Maverick, because you had never seen any movie from the Mission Impossible franchise until this one. Well, um, no, the day before, you and I watched Rogue Nation. Exactly, I was about to say. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll talk about that in a few moments. But first, we have some off topics to get to. Uh, we have a new Anyway, That's All I Got, uh, our spinoff Cinemaholics podcast hosted by Sam Noland. They put out a new episode this week. Please check it out. It's the Die Hard Movies episode. So they talked about all the Die Hard films. Fantastic episode. Uh, even if you haven't seen a lot of the diehards, uh, if you've at least seen the, the original and some of the better ones, this is a, a, an episode worth talking about, especially because uh, I believe Sam Nolan and Anthony Battaglia are two of the biggest diehard fans I've ever come across. So their enthusiasm for those movies was pretty fun to listen to. Uh, so that's out right now. We also, so okay, we want to do something kind of special coming soon. We want to do a Q&A episode. Uh, we want to answer a lot of the questions that have been asked of us that we haven't gotten to. So we, we've gotten questions here and there. Like you guys have you know, messaged us directly on the Facebook page. You sent a, you've sent us emails. You've asked us questions in the comments. We're kind of compiling them. So we're sort of opening up the floodgates. If you have a question that you want to ask us, the Cinemaholics, uh, this is your chance. Uh, we don't know exactly when we're going to do this. It sort of depends on how many questions we get over the next couple of weeks, I guess. And uh, it'll probably come up soon as either a bonus episode or the main show. Uh, so what, what are some good examples of questions, Will? I mean, what do you want people to ask us? Hmm. That's a good question about questions. <laughs> that um, question first. Let's see. I mean, I'd be curious, like, I mean, are we talking more like about movie related or are they just questions about our lives? Um, is everything open? Like, what are we what are we uh, restricting here as far as questions are concerned? I want to answer professional, yeah. right? I, uh, it, whole gamut. No limits. I have. No, I mean, I'd say maybe keep it PG, but no, I have zero otherwise. boundaries. You can ask me literally anything. Yeah, um, I mean, Maverick, you can ask anything. If it's a question that could have been asked on eighth grade, then we'll answer it. How about that? Sure, yeah, that's fair. Um, so that should be pretty fun, and I'm sure people ask lots of questions about Maverick uh, in particular. <laughs> Enigma, and we just want to hear more. I doubt that. They're going to be like, so, John, uh, how desperate were you when you asked Maverick to join Cinemaholics at first? <laughs> um, that's right. Uh, we get that question anyway. So. Yeah. Um, okay. We have a bunch of other off topics that we were debating talking about. Uh, so we should just say it. This week has been huge as far as film news goes. And it's it's not just a lot of news topics. It's like big picture stuff. It's stuff that's like that would take an entire episode. Just one of these off topics could be an entire episode of the show. So we were debating, like, what do we want to do about this? There's one in particular we want to talk about because it is kind of timely, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, we want to uh, do a last call with some of this other news. We'll briefly mention, uh, well, first of all, uh, the Disney-Fox merger. That's probably the biggest news of the week. It's looking like that is in its final stages. It's been approved by the stakeholders. And for those of you who haven't been following the story, Disney, you know, they own Marvel. They own Star Wars. They own Disney, obviously. They are basically buying 21st Century Fox, and Fox, of course, has lots of properties. Um, of course, the X-Men, they have Fantastic Four. They have a lot of other rights to a lot of franchises, and the idea of these two studios merging, I mean, it's a big topic. And it's the implications 
are huge. Uh, both there are some positive things. There are a lot of negative things that we would like to talk about, uh, but and as an off-topic, it wouldn't do it justice. Uh, there's also the James Gunn firing. There's more to talk about on that because we sort of were we were pretty hesitant last week to go into too much detail. I think we all still stand by what we said in that episode. Um, but then there's also there's also Netflix acquiring a huge movie from Warner Brothers, and that has implications about streaming. Um, those of you who don't know, it's uh, Mowgli, the next like Jungle Book movie Warner's, Warner Brothers has been making. It's going to be going straight to Netflix. So we have a lot we want to say on that. We have a lot that we want to say on Star Wars Episode, episode 9, the cast being announced. Uh, Will, I mean, bonus episode, right? Like, how else are we going to do this? Yeah, I mean, we were trying to, like you said, we were trying to figure out what's the best way to do it. I think... If the listeners want to hear our thoughts about any of these things, either present them to the Q and A, or if you if there is a lot of tension for one of these topics in particular, we can devote to a last call or a bonus episode. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much that happened this week that it's crazy that we could talk about pretty much any of these things and discuss them for about thirty minutes or more. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, we just have so much on our plate this episode that we have to give them only a, a brief sliver of time, which right. is unfortunate. Right. And we want to get to, of course, our featured review uh, sooner rather than later. But real quick, we will mention uh, a story about MoviePass. It's the one I mentioned about uh, just being a little bit more timely. Now, as a lot of you know, I've used MoviePass now for like four years. uh, And now it's looking like it's in its final stages. I just I don't see how MoviePass is going to for those of you who don't know. MoviePass is a subscription service where you pay $10 a month and at select theaters, which at this point is most movie theaters uh, for a lot of people, uh, you can go and just watch one movie a day uh, and MoviePass will front the bill. Uh, One person I saw describe this as uh, the business model of giving a company money and then they give you more money uh, because that's basically what the service is. (laughs) And we've talked a lot about MoviePass on this show, so we won't relitigate a lot of that content, but... The big thing this week was that it's just looking like MoviePass is becoming unusable for a lot of users. Yeah, didn't, like, two days ago there was a crash where people couldn't, like, they straight up couldn't get movies done because they couldn't pay for the tickets anymore? people weren't able to watch um, Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, There's this new thing called peak pricing where you have to pay, like, more money for a movie, like, where it has, like, ten people in it. Uh, People were talking about how they went to a theater where the tickets are $6 and the surge price was, like, $8. Oh, really? blind spotting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, blind spotting in eighth grade. Apparently, they had to pay like eight dollars additional. Like it's at that point, there's no sense using the movie pass because like for some of those tickets, right. it was six bucks originally, and they're just asking to pay eight bucks for a six dollar ticket, which is absurd. Um, so. Apparently, the service is working now. Um, I used it yesterday and it was fine. Um, I didn't do the surge pricing thing, but uh, it, it the reason this is happening is because movie pass is just they're out of money. They they don't have the money to pay the bills. They're behind, and if they don't have the money, then they have to shut down the service, and it's. It, it is going to be interesting to see if they can solve this problem. And a lot of people have been sort of – it bothers me. A lot of people have been celebrating this and been like, yeah, MoviePass sucks. I want them to fail. And I'm like, why do you want MoviePass to fail? MoviePass has been – even though their business practices have been less than admirable. A little questionable. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't use them as a case study for a successful business. But what they have offered has been a unique good. It's brought about change in other theater industries offering better services, and it's it's allowed people to watch a lot of movies for a good deal. And for people who aren't us, who you you know, we get access to press screenings, we get access to you know, a I lot don't. of perks. Yeah, yeah, but you get to go with me. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm just saying, right? like, I I I mean, I'm able to do Cinemaholics mostly because of the money I get exactly. to save via yeah, and you movie like pass. where you take risks on seeing lots of movies to talk about that we don't get press screenings for sometimes. Exactly, and 
And I think some people who are just like, oh, let MoviePass die are sort of like disregarding that this is a very useful service for people. And I don't know, I'm not happy about it uh, going by the wayside, but it's looking like that's inevitable. What are your thoughts on this, Will? Yeah, I mean, in addition to what you're saying, it's also, I think, been really helpful for a lot of indie movies or at least mm-hmm. mid-range movies that people may have been hesitant to see. And then they have MoviePass. They're like, oh, I, I'll use it for that. And that helps get their status up. So there's a lot of movies that we talked about and celebrated that may not have found audience have been able to uh, accelerate things to movie pass. And yeah, I mean, I've only had it for, I think only like maybe three or four months now, but it's been really helpful for a lot of reasons you've been saying. And I mean, it'd be a real shame to see it go. I'm, I am curious if another company is going to try to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, on Twitter, Peter Soretta from Slash Film and I think Kristen Lopez were talking about the possibility of Fandango probably picking them up. And I think that would, be better than letting it die um i don't know if i feel comfortable about because that's i think warner brothers owns fandango at this point so i don't know if i feel 100 percent comfortable with warner brothers owning movie pass but i think that'd be better than letting us die and i'm not comfortable as we mentioned before about getting amc a list as opposed to movie pass because i'm i wouldn't want to restrict myself to just going to amc locations but what so i i have i was gonna say john you you use that now i got it this past week because so here here's my new strategy going forward um and we've talked about a list before that's amc allows you to pay you pay twenty dollars a month and you can watch three movies a week and uh the nice thing about that is you can reserve seats online you can watch you can use those reservations those like three tickets on Dolby Atmos, IMAX, any format you want, and you don't have to pay. So it's it's a very great deal, right? Still not as good as MoviePass. Uh, the main reason that I did it was because, A, because MoviePass wasn't working, um, and B, I just wanted to have that backup. And I have a new strategy going forward. Uh, and the, the other thing is, like, the reason I hate a, a lot of AMC theaters, like, basically all the ones I've been to, is because there's sound... We've talked about it on the show before, but, like, the sound in there is so bad that, like, I can't understand what people are saying. And mm-hmm. then when I try to do hearing devices, they never work. I uh, just... I don't know. Like, Century is much better about that sort of thing, in my opinion, as far as the big chains go. Uh, Regal is about the same. But... What my, my thinking, though, is, like, if I can watch it in IMAX and Dolby Atmos, like, those theaters actually have a good format that, like, I can hear, I can, you know, I, I don't have to do the hearing accessibility stuff. So, for me, that's what made it worth it. And my strategy going forward is I'm using the A-list, that's $20, and I'm keeping my movie pass for all of our local theaters, our landmark theaters, and all the places that, like, like we have the Aquarius here in the Bay Area. We have theaters that take movie pass that are well worth it because I can watch, even if I just watch three or four movies at those theaters a month, I'm still saving a lot of money. And um, I'm doing that. I'm going to do that anyway, right? And most of the time I see like seven or eight. So that's kind of what I'm doing moving forward. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping that maybe movie pass transitions a bit more into like local independent cinema, instead of trying to front the bill for these huge AMC regal century who don't want them, who are making it harder for them in some ways for the better uh, from, you know, letting their service dictate a lot of their traffic. But if movie pass could get people to go to more local and independent cinema where they're not going to, it's not as expensive. I, I could actually see that still being a great deal and getting people to come out to the movies. Uh, but it's just separating it. I think from these big tentpole blockbusters, which is what I think is screwing them over right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what do you think Maverick? Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get what you're going from. And I think, Right for us, or at least for me and specifically, the the A list thing is more appealing just because the closest theater to us is a right. big. And AMC. for a lot of people, that's not the case, right? And so I know that's not the most common thing, but I do think that MoviePass was great at getting us into, 
you know, the that small local theater next to, you know, where we used to live and stuff like that. And, and I totally agree with you that if they could focus on that and keeping their stuff in the smaller theaters and letting these big theaters, like, what is it? Uh, AMC has a, their A-list the thing. A-list. Uh, uh, Cinemark Century has the, the uh, what, movie club, I think. Movie club or whatever. Yeah, Which so, is a weirder deal. They need to fix that up because it's That deal's not, not great. Yeah. <laughs> A-list makes a lot of sense, right? Like, I get that. Yeah, and it's not that the deal isn't, I, I don't know, it's fine. It's just that, like, it's hard to explain. Well, that, and I just don't think it's well. as good. Like with A-list, you're like, here's three three tickets a week and yeah. you movie, right? With this with that one, with it's, this one, it's like you it's pay like, $8.99. You pay eight ninety a month. If you want a second off. one, you have to get another eight yeah. ninety nine on that ticket as well. You get a discount on concessions, but I don't know. I do like that AMC lets you go to the front of the line and do all that stuff. Again, we could have talked about this for an entire bonus episode. Yeah, yeah but anyway, that. yeah, I am kind of right in line with you, John. And I, I'm interested to see what happens next with MoviePass because they've gone through so much change. When I first signed up, like to see a movie every day was like 46 bucks right mm-hmm. like and then i think i was in the middle tier where it was like three a month for 25 or 28 or something like yeah. that and it was a groupon then, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and like even that i was okay paying for it and i was obviously excited when it went to ten dollars but like is that worth the service being gone i don't think so right like i have no problem paying 15 bucks a month like that's why i think if fandago bought them yeah and just fixed the pricing tier and like did limits on the service that didn't disenfranchise customers too yeah. much you could also, if they had like a pre-buying tickets and other like uh, incentives, I guess they could make it really worth the while and get more people invested in buying Movie Pass. Yeah, and I think Movie Pass is trying to do some of that, but like John mentioned, I don't think the bigger theaters are being super welcoming to that because you can only do pre-buying tickets like at certain theater groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, if Fandango or someone does come up, they can kind of negotiate a better symbiotic system with all these big theaters as well as the small ones. Yeah, I mean, I. I I don't want it to die. I want someone to pick it up. I think it's a good service. I think they just need to manage their PR and figure out what they want and how they can do it. If someone who is more like savvy to that, like Fandango or another service could pick that up and make it for the better, then I think it would be great. But at this point, it seems like it's going to die. If it's going to die for good, I don't know. But I don't know if it's going to make it past the end of the summer, let alone the end of the year. So mm-hmm. if it doesn't make it, then RIP. But I'm hoping somebody can fix that ship before it sinks agreed agreed but okay let's move on we have so much to talk about today movie wise we're talking about mission impossible fallout later in the show we're going to talk about teen titans go to the movies uh, the full up the full season of luke cage uh, a few other surprises i think you all will enjoy hearing about but let's start with mission impossible fallout this is of course a uh, from paramount it's the sixth entry in the Mission Impossible franchise, it started in, I believe it was like 1999, right? Like 99, 98 or something like that? 96. 96. Oh, wow. Even farther back. And yeah. uh, they've always been Tom Cruise films. Uh, he's been in every single one. And it's it's a very it's a very interesting film series. I'd, I'd love to talk about it in more detail. And I would at least, uh, as we start to talk about it, uh, hear some impressions on it. Um, the last time we talked about one of these films was Rogue Nation, which came out three years ago in 2015. Uh, I remember talking about that on Now Conspiring and uh, being a big fan of that film. But uh, a lot of the cast is returning, uh, including the director, Christopher McQuarrie. He's the first uh, director to return to a Mission Impossible movie. They've all been directed by different people. Brian De Palma, John Woo, J.J. Abrams, Brad Bird. And then Christopher McQuarrie took over with Rogue Nation and... This really feels like a direct sequel, Fallout. 
And so we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, the cast includes Tom Cruise, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Sean Harris, Michelle Monaghan, and Alec Baldwin, who are on the last one. Uh, and then the newcomers for this film include Henry Cavill and Angela Bassett and Henry Cavill's mustache. So um, it was the mustache that de- defeated the Justice League. So uh, yeah, it's great to I'm see I'm glad you gave it a separate credit. Right, right. I know you're a big fan. Uh, in this new this new movie, uh, The Impossible Mission Force, which includes, of course, Ethan Hunt, uh, must track down the stolen plutonium that's being brokered between terrorist groups. And uh, they have to deal with a CIA agent who uh, has to tag along and keep them honest, uh, whatever that means. So... Starting with you, Will Ashton, a general impressions on the Mission Impossible franchise. I know this is like one of the biggest action franchises on the planet. It's one of the most beloved as well. Where do you stand on it? And what do you think of Fallout? Yeah, I mean, as far as the series in general, I'm a big fan of them. I think with the exception of the second one, which I've never really been crazy about. I rewatched it recently and it holds up better than I anticipated, but it's still kind of the weak, the weak link of the series. I feel like all these movies have been really good about changing their style and being in a way like a, a good catalyst for Tom Cruise to prove that he just basically do anything. <laughs> um, but also just, you know, just being fun action movies that have these really impressive set pieces and stunts and are really just generally entertaining, fun movies. And um, as far as the, like, I really, I'm a big fan of the third movie. I know it's, it's gotten kind of mixed responses over the years, but I, I do think that's the one that I think really was the first to resonate with me. And um, I have enjoyed the other ones as well, but uh, or the other ones preceding that as well. But this one, I think Fallout is the one I've been waiting for since I saw that third movie. I feel like this is the one that's really the one that kind of ties everything together, not only narratively, but provides, I think, everything that the other movies have been in their own little ways kind of missing. And it feels like what Spectre, the James Bond film, probably should have been when they brought back um, Sam Mendes. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, like that was like him coming back because he did a really great job with uh, Skyfall. And I like uh, Spectre. I think it's fine, but it definitely has flaws. And it, it kind of proved some of the uh, the reason why I think it's better for that series to have a different vision. This mm-hmm. time, I think Chris McQuarrie was really smart about honing the series down, finding the emotion I think has been kind of absent throughout some of the other sequels of late, while providing the stunts that really impressed people with Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation. Um, yeah, I think it's still, I'm still processing it, but I can't imagine this movie being anything less than the best of the series. I think this is honestly the best one that we've seen and I'm just so giddy about it. Wow. I I was hoping you would really enjoy it because I know that uh, I'm also a big fan of the third one. Um, but you know, I was thinking about this going into fallout and kind of when I was explaining, because Maverick was kind of a newcomer to the series, mm-hmm. um, I feel like every mm-hmm. Mission Impossible ha- is like the best at least one thing. Like, right. I think the third one has the best villain. I think a lot of people should agree uh, with question. that, right? I mean, and, and I also think that it has some of the better, like, character and drama to it. It's not just that the villain is good. Part of the reason the villain yeah, is good think- is because the drama between Ethan Hunt and his personal life and his mission life, it's actually pretty thrilling to watch. Right. It's the one with the emotion, I think. Right. It's, the other ones have been, like, uh, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation have been great with stunts and everything. But I feel like, like, Ghost Protocol especially, like, the villain is a, such a nothing, especially compared to Philip Seymour Hoffman. He right. just kind of is there. And then Rogue Nation, like, the villain's okay, but he's still kind of, like, he doesn't really make much of an impression. I think he does 
make a better impression in this film than he did in that other so. film. Yeah, Sean Harris, uh, you know, he, he's no Philip Seymour Hoffman, but they do, they, they have something to him that is interesting, you know, and I, I wish that they had given it to somebody with better writing because he is supposed to be like the anti-Ethan Hunt. And it's a good concept, but I guess they, they don't execute it in a way that like really makes the movie shine. It just sort of is there as a, it's just kind of perfunctory. It's like, okay, this is the plot that's where all the set pieces kind of move around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to say like Ghost Protocol, I think has the best stunt, um, I would say with like the, the, the stuff with like the Burj Khalifa. I mean, it's just unquestionably yeah. so amazing, like th- what they were able to pull off. Um, I would say Rogue Nation has probably the best collection of set pieces. Like that movie really, it really moves. And I also think it probably has the best uh, female um, side character. I don't know if you even call her a side character, but maybe supporting character in mm-hmm. Rebecca Ferguson, whose Ilsa Faust is just, uh, just you know, this kind of, I don't know, she really subverts you know, like the, the role that she's in and yeah. she just kind of dominates, you know? Um, yeah. There's like a kind of noir edge to her, but exactly, she's also yeah. really able to stand on her own. It's a really cool character. I think what I wanted to say was like a subversion of Femi Fatale almost. Right. Um, I get what you meant. Yeah. Even the second one. Okay. The second one is the best at making Tom Cruise look cool. That, that was the movie that I watched all the time when I was a little kid because not little kid, but like when I was like into James Bond movies, like in my younger years, uh, the second one was the one that we owned on like DVD. We didn't, we owned the first one, but it was like too mature for me, apparently. And my parents didn't let me see it. But the second one with all of its doves and crazy explosions and Tandy Newton, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's a wild ride. And I actually think that it, it has its moments. And then I guess the first one, the first one probably has some of the better like twists and turns to it. I think that movie is very intriguing. And uh, uh, I don't know, maybe it has the best IMF director. But okay, I, I really enjoyed Fallout as well. I think that it's a it's a very great action film. Uh, I, I, maybe it is the best one of this series. I don't know. But Maverick, as somebody who's only seen two films in this mm-hmm. series, you saw Rogue Nation, which ended up being a good thing because yeah. this one. I feel like you would have been lost. Definitely right? needed that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's your impression on the series? You know, so this is just one of those things that I, you know, never watched because I was just never super interested in it. I felt like, I don't know if it's just that this style of movie just wasn't my thing in my mind. Right. Like, I, I don't know why I judged it so hard or why I was so uninterested. Just was. Um, and, we were going to see it on Thursday. So John's like, well, at least watch one. I watched like a little YouTube recap of kind of like, who is Ethan Klein or Ethan, uh, whatever it was like hunt. I said, Ethan Klein from H3 productions. Uh, mm-hmm. that's funny. Um, anyway, so I, I, you know, I watched kind of YouTube recap of like what, you know, what series was about. I watched the rogue nation one with you and I say, man, that was fun. Like I really liked it. And I'm like almost mad that I haven't like kept up with it up until this point, because it was just such a, I don't know. It was. Uh, I think it was a little bit more than I expected. Other than just like, yeah, here's you know, here's a crazy set piece, right? Like, so I, I had a lot of fun with it, and I was actually kind of excited to see Fallout after we had watched Rogue Nation. And um, I mean, I can say the same thing. It was just, it was a really fun movie experience. Uh, we saw it in IMAX, which was cool, and it was, you know, loud and chaotic and crazy, and those the action scenes are just intense definitely worth seeing super fun and some of the early fight scenes in this movie i was like yo (laughs) i haven't been that excited about a fight scene since i don't know maybe atomic blonde the bathroom scene yeah a highlight because that's one of the ones where things happen you just don't see coming like they do things that you they don't normally let happen in action movies for sure yeah and it was just it was a little surprising it was intense i mean i was just really 
really happy with it. It was a fun time. Like I'm not, you know, changed, right? Like this isn't the best movie I've ever seen in my life and I'm not blown away and it's not, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something that like, I'm glad I saw it was definitely worth my time and it was like really, really fun to see. And I think a lot of people could enjoy just like going and watching Tom Cruise be an old man jumping from things. Yeah. Like I think the, the, the weird thing about these movies is that they are really an avatar of Tom Cruise himself. For sure. You can really trace his career like it's like it's like a time capsule. It's like the box from eighth grade, uh, where she has like all of her trinkets. You could open up a Tom Cruise box for the Mission Impossible movies and get little morsels of like what he was going through at the time when this was filmed, the writing of it, because he's always been heavily involved with a lot of like the pathos behind these movies as they've been made. Yeah. And what's interesting about Fallout is there is a, a thread here that really gets. It's like you're watching his therapy almost, and. I really appreciated that because it could have just been another Rogue Nation where it really it really was just surface level like here are all the action set pieces that you want to see and they're all fascinating they're all they're all like a big blast right and this movie has that but there is sort of a story there like there's emotion to it um and I think that's what you were touching on earlier Will Yeah I mean I think that's what in my opinion that's what's kept the last two sequels a little bit lacking is that I just felt like they didn't have that same emotion that the third movie had or that character depth that the third movie brought they just were kind of like they were more about the set pieces being fantastic as they were than really developing the characters in a in a fundamentally good way as this movie did i felt Mm -hmm. they're also doing that fast and furious thing where his like team is like his family right yeah yeah and it's starting to become part of the story too and i do i do sort of appreciate that because ving rames and simon Pegg, who have been in a lot of these movies now ving rames has been every yeah. single one right they i don't know they just they're like so essential to the movie's working because when all of these crazy scenes happen where like these crazy shootouts where tom cruise is driving in like oncoming traffic in paris like that roundabout that's like the most dangerous road i think or something like that in europe and they're they're the characters who react for us and are sort of just like, this is insane. Like, this is just crazy. And I don't know. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ving Rhames, I think, is my by far my favorite character in this series. I just everything. The only thing that these movies can do better is just put more of him in them. Just because his reactions to everything is, are always great. Well, he was. they did give him a lot to do in this one, right? Like he That's get, true, yeah. And, he had a great, yeah. he had a great emotional scene about uh, a little more than halfway through that mm-hmm. I felt was really a great way to make the movie more emotionally resonant as you were saying there's no jeremy renner this time i i barely noticed uh but yeah he's a character he can come in he can come and go as he pleases i don't think he's essential it took me like two hours and like 10 minutes for me to realize oh yeah jeremy renner's not here (laughs) (laughs) but you know it works because you don't really need him in this movie Uh, i think that was the wise choice you have henry cavill instead who you know, he's they're they're keeping the thread going from the last movie where the CIA is becoming more involved in the actions of the IMF, kind of keeping them accountable, right? And with that, you have Henry Cavill, who plays this guy uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, basically, who is this like the straight laced, mustache twirling, you know, CIA guy who's he he's a very interesting character to figure out. Now, Maverick, I, I I'll say real quick, I, I don't think his character totally works like it works it worked probably half the time for me but where were you at i mean i think the question i asked you after the movie kind of best represents what i felt about his character where Mm -hmm. i said uh what's his name henry what cavill yeah i said i said is henry cavill good is he a good actor yeah like is he good because i felt like that was the same performance i saw from him in the last um in justice league where it was just like i'm an angry buff man 
<laughs> I say one line short things. Don't do that. And I was just like, I don't care about you. Yeah, we were um, talking about it because I do think he he does a very interesting performance in Immortals. I was just say I haven't seen him in a lot of things, so I have to caveat that. But yeah. like, I felt like I saw Superman in the CIA at he's this point. He's a very charismatic like, spy in The Man from Uncle, a movie that gets short shrift, I think, from people. But yeah, I mean, as far as his character goes, as Agent Walker, uh, Texas Ranger, I like it. Um, yeah, I just like. I think they try to paint him in the beginning as like this, like you better watch out. You don't know what he's about. Like he's like a kind watchdog, of a, yeah, yeah, like he, you know, he doesn't play by the rules, or maybe he does. Like they're just he kind of vague his about arms like guns. You know? Yeah, they just kind of like it's his whole character is I think like too vague in the beginning, and I think that makes it harder for me to care about his lack of performance throughout the movie. I think I think the parts of it that did work for me at times, though, were that his competency con- constantly comes into question. Like, is he really good at what he's doing? Yeah. And that part was interesting to me because, you know, I, well, can, I can buy that. What were you going to say, Well, I was going to say, I think they make it clear that it's he just acts. Like, he doesn't really think about what he does. He just like, okay, well, we're in this situation. What's the best thing we can do? I'll hit him with this thing. Or I'll maybe kill him. Like, I just, whatever is best for the situation is what he goes for. And he's, like, kind of, like, this, like, I don't want to say, like, an animal almost, but he, like, kind of has, like, that animal instinct where he just, like, acts before he thinks. And that's mm-hmm. why he's a good counterpoint to um, Tom Cruise because Ethan always is trying to figure out what's the best way, like, logistically to get out of every situation. Which is that interesting because sometimes, though, sometimes, though, he just he just sort of does things and is like, I'll figure it out. Like that's probably, that's like out of the movie. So there is some weird inconsistency in the writing there. Cause you're, you're, you should be right. right. You know, I mean, I think the biggest actual flaw with the series is that Ethan isn't really that well developed as a character. As far as the series goes, I think in each movie he can be a pretty good character, but if you really watch all the movies back to back, his character kind of, it changes a lot. It's really, what the director wants or the screenwriters sometimes like want him to be in a certain film, right. which kind of adds to the exquisite corpse angle of like the first four or five films and that they were able to like just, he even just changes into what the director wants him to be more or right. less. And this is the first time where they really kind of hone him down. It's like, okay, who is Ethan? Like, what is he looking for? And uh, obviously, as we said, that's more about who is Tom Cruise and why is he keep putting himself in all these dangerous situations? But I, th- I think that's probably the biggest flaw I could say with the series as a whole was that Ethan isn't really that super fleshed out as a character. Right. You can also nitpick a lot of things in this movie as far as story is pretty convoluted. Uh, the first the first act is a lot of exposition where I was even wondering, like, how is he keeping up with this? Like, how uh, is this information? Yeah, I, just, yeah. Well, I don't mean to cut you off, but one thing I was going to say that I forgot about was this one to me felt a little bit too long and a little like i was kind of dragging compared to rogue nation seeing that the day before this one just felt like there were a lot of times where i was like like okay some of all the parts are right they 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 have enough stuff here it's it's almost like they could have omitted certain things i mean there's a scene where it's literally just him running for like 10 minutes and (laughs) he's not exaggerating it was like 10 minutes really is and like nothing really happens with it and it's like an it's a continuation of a longer scene that they really could have edited down and it just felt like what was the point of this scene besides you do start, that's when you start to feel in those moments and it happens a couple times in the film where like this was filmed before the plot was figured out yeah. which is real i mean they they literally they came up with the set pieces before they came up with the story and it's movie magic sometimes it's seamless other times it isn't uh would you agree or disagree with that will i mostly agree i mean i i can see like i think there's a good chunk around like the third third fourth mark where it does kind of sag a little bit just because you can feel like that weight of it 
But I would say on the whole, I think the pacing of this film is honestly pretty terrific. I'd say that's really where the comparisons to Mad Max Fury Road have been coming in is that it really is able to be so consistent with the action and being just so thorough with being mm-hmm. like just moving at a consistent pace without really like dumbing down too much. I, I don't know. I, I kind of agree and I kind of don't. Um, I, I would actually, yeah, I, I agree with the notion that it is one of our better action films. I think that it will go down as one of our better action films in you know recent film history. But for you, Will, uh, you know, I, I think Mad Max, Mad Max Fury Road is one of the greatest. Uh, and I think oh, that yeah, it no, outshines this one in particular. It's not, there's been some conversation. I think some people are coming out and saying, you know what, Mission Impossible Fallout's better. It's uh, and we don't we don't have to go into it. I think those conversations um, can be a little silly. But I mean, do yeah, you, how do you react to the impact of this film? I guess the impact of the film. Yeah, like uh, the way that it, it really is swooping people up and and really making them feel like they've watched something special. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going back to what I was saying before, which is that I think this, this is the first one that really just collects everything that was so good about the last couple sequels and ties up into a really satisfying uh, piece. I'm not, I mean, in some ways it does kind of feel like, like a conclusion, but I think they're probably going to do one or two more um, before they let Tom Cruise kind of, I don't know if he'll retire necessarily, but I, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be acting quite as much just based on right. how he, physical he gets in these projects of his. Right. Uh, I think ending it on seven would make a lot of sense. It would be great. Uh, I think that uh, end on a high note, right? Uh, it's at 97% right now on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, the reviews are overwhelmingly positive because it, people just like to watch well-made movies. And in this case, a well-made action movie is very hard to come by. And, yeah. and it, I just think it's a great celebration of a series that... You know, it's never been perfect, and you know some of the movies have been better than others. Uh, some drastically better, and I don't know. I, I think that it's it's moving in such a positive direction. I'm I'm glad that it's seeing so much success. I think the box office yeah. so far has been very great. Uh, I think it's made. Let's see here. So it's made 153 million so far. Uh, so it's almost made its budget back, and it, it was an expensive movie because Tom Cruise breaks his ankle during the film, and so they had to do a hiatus. I think it was like eight weeks, and it cost the studio a lot, um, a lot of money. And but it looks like they're going to be also cost, recouping uh, their expenses. Yeah, they also cost Warner Brothers a lot of money, too. That's what I'm saying. Of, uh, the, the oh, reshoots, oh, all oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not just Paramount. Yeah, they had to deal with that. So I was just going to ask yeah. briefly. I don't know if you guys have addressed this, but have both of you seen all of them? All of the Mission uh, Impossible? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how does this one rank up to what was your favorite going into it? I think, Will, you said this is probably your favorite. Or if yeah, your I favorite, mean. It's up there with three. I, I'm going to rewatch. Um, I rewatched the first three um, this weekend. I'm probably going to check out four and five again just to refresh my memory and kind of get a cohesive idea of where I rank them. But right now I'm thinking Fallout's number one. Three is probably number two then Rogue Nation, then uh, Ghost Protocol, then one, then two would probably be how I rank them. Yeah, it's hard for me because it's like I said before, I think they're all really good at certain things, so I don't know how when, I would compare them. When right? you were telling me about them, you really raved about three, I think, right? That was one that yes. you said that, like, that was kind yeah, of for your... a lot of the same I, reasons that yeah. Will said. That, that one always resonated with me a lot. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It was, it was the return, you know, it had been a while since the second one, and uh, it really just does have such a solid. Like I was, I was trying to judge it by like how much I remember 
of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I, that's how I know that I really liked Ghost Protocol, too. I remembered a lot of that film, but I remember the beats of Mission Impossible 3. And so that's that's kind of like how I, I judge yeah. it. Um, yeah. it's, not a, it's not a perfect way to analyze the movies because I remember the second one the best because I watched it like a billion times <laughs> as a kid. Uh, that said, I, I, you know, Fallout... It could be probably the best action of all of these movies. I think that I don't see how any of them shine, but it, and it has enough like great set, set pieces. I think the helicopter chase scene really rivals the Burj mm-hmm. Khalifa. So yeah, for that, like that, that's the only other movie, Ghost Protocol, that'd be like, oh, which one, you know? And mm-hmm. Rogue Nation, and what was great about that one was uh, like Fallout. It just was a great collection. You know, like everything just kind of works seamlessly together. Like nothing was like bad about the film, really. Like, or terrible. So, I don't know. I don't know how I'd rank it. But let's let's move into our final. Sorry, yeah, I was grades. just curious. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would uh, yeah. I'd recommend watching three and four Maverick. I think you'd like them both a lot. Cool. Yeah, the first two, I don't I don't think they age very. I think well. you. I mean, if you if you like the third and fourth one a lot, and you're like, I'll oh, check out the other two. I just know that they're not quite the same. They're they're from a different time, and you can definitely feel like the first one's super dated, mm-hmm. especially because there's like a whole scene where like Ethan is like in an email correspondence with a guy named Job. <laughs> it, it's really <laughs> cheesy at times, um, but it's it's kind of fun. It's just not quite the same. Yeah, and the second one, the big issue with the second one is that it takes way too long to get to any action. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a really action... long first act. And the action in the second one, especially compared to the other ones, it's like a very stylized and over the top, which isn't everyone's cup of tea. I think it's 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 just depends on how you feel about John Woo. I think if you yeah, don't ten year like old his style, John Negroni, it was it was the real stuff. It, yeah. was the stuff. Yeah, it definitely feels like a movie made for like fourteen year old boys. <laughs> it really was like leather jackets, motorcycles, yeah. shades. Like, I don't understand the problem. Okay, the second one still does have my favorite like introduction to Ethan in the beginning. I the whole thing where he's like climbing a uh, a mountain in his free time and then the That's, choose a, that's you. a really impressive stunt, yeah. Yeah, like, and that's still It's the best way to introduce like who this character is for this movie. And then the, if you choose to accept it, it is so stupid, but I don't know. I still think that it's the most fun. If it was a vacation or what was that thing where he's like next time you tell us you're on vacation, less than when he like throws the sunglasses like if it was vacation you wouldn't know about it or whatever it's so cheesy cheese uh, um <laughs> regardless uh yeah they, they were checking out their only quirky ways and i do like how fallout has elements of even it has elements of all the movies but they yeah, do actually do a nice callback to the second one uh in this and they ha- they even have a character played by vanessa kirby who is the granddaughter of a character in the first movie um so it, it, they, they found they found interesting ways to like tie everything together in ways that probably uh a little forced, but not in bad, not in a bad way, not in a way that you notice. So anyway, let's get into our final thoughts and grades. Starting with you, Will Ash. Yeah, I mean, in addition to everything we've just said, I just want to stress that I think another reason why this movie has been really resonating with people and has earned so many comparisons to Mad Max Fury Road is because almost every stunt here is real. Like nothing is, I mean, nothing, with the exception of maybe one or two things are anything in this movie like cg enhanced it's not like they filmed this stuff in the studio right. all these stunts were done by real people and you can see the behind the scenes footage it's incredible what they got and i can't imagine like being on the insurance team for paramount while these <laughs> movies are being made because uh, that must be it's just a nightmare but i think because so much is on the line and so much is done on the set like for real in the moment there is blood in the work you can feel like there's real palpable danger i think that's what makes this one and the other sequels stand out so much is that you can tell like Tom Cruise is just putting himself out there and really, I mean, 
crazy as a guy can be, like he will commit to his craft and he does these crazy, amazing stunts. Um, and I think in addition to the stunts being so good, I think the characters are really fleshed out this time. And I think they find that emotion that was in the third movie that I liked a lot. So it just feels like a uh, good round conclusion. Like I think this just sums up everything I've appreciated about the other movies so much. And it puts it all into one film. So I'm going to give it an A-. All right. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned insurance because we didn't mention – we were saying that this harmed the studio. We, we should have mentioned too that they did have insurance for the, that injury and the cost. So I don't believe – the uh like all that money actually like is going to count against the budget of fallout so yeah i mean that's a positive but i guess in relation to what you're saying about justice league right because they had to spend all that money to uh you know remove his mustache um that's such a crazy story but um, i guess that definitely wasn't something that uh warner brothers got to absorb so anyway uh that's an a minus and then mevrakinds yeah i I think you know, watching Rogue Nation beforehand kind of gave me a nice little tease into this world, and I'm really glad I watched it because I think, like you said, I would have been pretty lost, but um, this was a really, really fun surprise for me, and I really enjoyed it, and um, if there was another one coming out soon, I'd probably be excited to see it, right? A lot more excited than I was going into this one, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm always down for a pleasant surprise, um, but even, you know, that being said, like I said before, it doesn't necessarily make it my favorite thing in the world, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's right up my alley but i still think it's a fun movie so for me this is a b plus all right uh it's a b plus for me too um i think that uh, it, it i i don't i don't think it's a must see but i do think that it's like the pinnacle of action for people who love action so they should definitely go rush out and check it uh and, and uh, i think probably three years from now we'll probably get the next one i feel like that's like the schedule they're on at this point uh, yeah about every three or four years how old will tom cruise be at that out. point tom cruise is like just a few years younger than Alec Baldwin. He's like in his fifties. Yeah. He's so, fifty six right now. I, I just I feel like he's, he's fifty nine at the him. next movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Just make him feel bad. That's nice. You know he listens. Yeah. yeah. You know he is our biggest fan. <laughs> all right. Well, that's Mission Impossible Fallout now in theaters, and uh, I guess it's a solid recommend from all three of us. With that, let's go into our mini reviews. We have quite a few to get to, and the first one. Oh boy, uh, I don't even know where to start. Teen Titans go to the movies. This is an animated superhero comedy. Uh, one person I saw referred to it as Deadpool for kids. Um, and that is a yep. reference, of course, to the fact that this is a very self-referential meta comedy based on the DC universe and even some Marvel things. Um, and it's interesting. So it's based on a TV show. Uh, called Teen Titans Go. It's in its fifth season. Gotcha. Now, I, I've never watched Teen Titans Go. I was a big fan of the original animated series for Teen Titans, which came out in like 2003 or something like that. Uh, fantastic animated series. And a lot of the voices of that cast came back in Teen Titans Go, which is more of like a a totally reimagined version of that show. That show was very serious. It had stakes. It still had that comedic show was elements. Amazing. It was really great. It was very well written. It's it's probably one of the better DC animated shows. It's up there with like Young Justice. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, so man, Young Justice. Teen Titans Go, though, it's it's really like a joke a minute, uh, kind of zany, kind of Looney Tunes kind of take. I mean, even the even the animation is like so much more mm-hmm. cute, right? Like it's not. And yeah. so I know a lot of people who were who grew up with the original Teen Titans show. Me, like us, uh, you know, a lot of us don't tend to be fans of the Teen Titans Go series, but it happens to be one of like the biggest animated shows on the planet right now. I mean, it's huge, and of course, it's so big that of course, got its own movie. 
Uh, where, where are you at with Teen Titans Go and Teen Titans in general? Well, I, I feel like we've never really talked about this. And we should say, you and I saw this movie. Maverick did not. Yeah. Just um, a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I only watched a little bit of the show before I saw the film. I knew of it. I knew it had a good reputation. I remember seeing the um, original animated series when I was a kid, but um, I wasn't super aware of it. But I knew it was getting good notices, and I knew that it had a solid fan base. And from what I saw, it's a really funny show. I mean, I'm, I'd be genuinely interested in checking out more of it. But I went to the movie mostly cold, and I think that was probably for the best because I think the movie – will probably work best as an introduction for some people. I, I can't imagine what it's like for, uh, you know, established fans. I think they'll enjoy it as well. But I think for someone like me who is only, like, partially familiar with what they're going for, it, it was a good introduction into this very, like you said, self-referential meta kind of comedy where it's kind of hit and miss at times. I don't think everything works great, but there's just so much to it, and it's so inspired and so willing just be absurd and goofy and surprisingly pretty dark quite often that I, I I applaud it mostly just for being not only consistently entertaining, but just so willing to be as goofy as it is and good hearted as it is. Hold on. Did you just call this movie inspired? I don't, I, I don't think so, yeah. I, I don't think I can let that pass. This, inspired in the sense that like, like from a joke standpoint, like there are some I don't think scenes any, in this that are like, I don't think this movie is at all really clever. I think that it's like okay. the lowest common denominator of goofy comedy and I, I just don't think – I don't think it's a terrible movie, but – okay, so I, I've been thinking about this. And the best analogy I can come up with – or not analogy, but like example of what I mean. There, There's a short before this movie called The Late Batsby. And it's about Batgirl. And she's trying – she's like late to helping the other DC superheroes fight off Mr. Freeze or Dr. Yeah. Freeze, whatever, whichever one it is. And just the name of the short, The Late Batsby, it is – a joke that only works in one way, right? Gatsby, you can say Batsby. Late, you can say great. It's just these two things sound alike. But there's nothing else to that joke. There's no, it doesn't work. As Bojack Horseman would say, it doesn't work on every level, right? Like yeah, there's nothing but- about the great Gatsby that is in this short. And that to me is this movie. It's just like jokes based on things that sound alike, things that are sort of like maybe slapsticky. There's no cleverness to it. And, you know, it doesn't need to be because it's an animated movie for kids. But I just don't think I, – I don't know. I don't see how someone could watch this and be like, man, that was like really, an, you know, thoughtful comedy. It's, it's not. It's just junk food to me. Um, well, going back to your comments on the short, I mean, for one, that doesn't really have anything to do with the film itself. I'm not saying it's an indictment on the show. I'm saying it's a good example of like a joke that doesn't really – work on a lot of yeah. levels well, I that was charming i really didn't have any strong feelings about it i mean like i, I but to me that's like comparing bio to uh or is it bayo from incredibles 2 bow bow sorry um i feel like it's comparing those two like where they have similar themes but they're made by different filmmakers so i don't really think one can be compared to the other um but i don't know i i can see where you're coming from i don't think it's like when I say inspired, I mean more from like a joke standpoint. There's so much craziness that happens in here that like I just can't imagine what the writing room was like. Especially there's like a segment here, like uh, I think it's probably around like the 40 minute mark, and it's really only in there just to stretch out the length of the movie. But there's um, this whole segment where they have to go back to stop the origins of a uh, former superhero or superheroes that are in their way of becoming crime fighters, and it's so like. 
I don't know if that's like been established, like the time travel stuff at all in the show, but it's just it's so weird and dark and wild that like just stuff like that, that they're willing to come up with that idea and get it into the film that stands out to me more than I think what you would consider like a junk food stuff. I'm I'm trying to think of another example. Yeah, I mean, of what there's I some that. there's some dark humor, but it doesn't happen enough. And and I think some of the dark humor is fine. There's a scene where they run over uh, a cat voiced by Michael Bolton, and it's just. It's like something out of Family Guy. It's that's a, that's a funny sentence, <laughs> <laughs> right? And then, like, so, I, and I think that there are, there are two things that work in this movie in terms of the comedy. Most of the jokes, though, I think are just not very good. But the things that they get right are probably some of the darker jokes because I think those are just funny gags. And like the last line, the like the last thing that happens in this movie is very very charming, funny. Hmm. Um, and then I they, wasn't crazy about that one, but okay. really, I thought that was. Yeah, I don't know. I, decided, I thought that was kind of a cheap joke. I guess it was very brilliant. Um, <laughs> that was that to me was like meta humor that kind of actually is interesting. It's like kind of like that Nathan for you kind of feeling um, sure. close to it. And then the other I thing, I feel like South Park's done that though. Like how many times? That's true. That is very true. Uh, I would say the one thing this movie does get they get timing right. Like none of the jokes have bad timing. I just think some of the jokes aren't very well written. I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's pretty hit and miss. I think. Their consistency consistency rate is so good that they just keep showing jokes, and if one doesn't work, the next one probably will. And I think the movie is so good at being like just a tight ninety minutes where it just flows with jokes and rhythm and energy that I can't even in the stuff that was like, yeah, this isn't working for me. I was never bored by it, right. and I agree. Like some of the jokes are like really like just pandering the kids, like a lot of like fart jokes and stuff that. I don't know. I mean, they just felt kind of cheap and needless, but I, I get that they're, it's for the younger crowd and whatever, but it's no captain underpants. The first yeah. movie. No, uh, for sure. No, it's definitely not Captain underpants. I, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I was pretty bored throughout. I think the only, I did actually, when they go back in time and do all the justice league stuff that, that was like when it kind of picked up a little bit for me, but I mean, I don't know the whole central plot of like Robin wants to have his own movie uh, there's this idea it's not bad I guess like this idea that like all the superheroes have their own movies and how they interact with each other and I just feel like you could do a whole lot more with that concept and so I, I don't know I, I wasn't a big fan of this honestly and I, I guess it if you are a big fan of the show I, I guess you gotta go see this I mean, it seems like what the show advertises but for everybody else like I don't know I feel like you have to be like a hardcore fan to really like be able to sit through an hour and a half because there's just not a lot going on here, I guess. Uh, I, I gave it a C plus. Uh, what about you, Bill? Yeah, I, I I guess I just can't really agree with that. I don't know. It, it reminded me a lot like when I was a kid and I would see things like Recess Schools Out or like the Powerpuff Girls movie where they really made a big deal of this being like a theatrical release. And they really seemed to love that they had this platform to go as wild and as long as possible. I do agree that you can tell like the length of it a lot because just – there's only really about like 40 minutes of plot here and they stretch it out into like a hundred or 90 minutes and you can feel that at times, but I don't know. I was genuinely entertained throughout. I thought it was a good introduction for these characters and this new vision of the show. And uh, I don't think you need to be a fan to enjoy it. I think if you just like goofy meta humor that uh, requires you to just uh, have a good time at the movies, then I think it's all right. I don't know. I, I, I was between a B and a B minus. Um, I think enjoyment wise, I'm like a B, but I think quality wise, it's probably closer to a B minus. It's it has problems. It's not perfect, but I enjoyed it for what it was. All right, let's Teen Titans go to the movies. We can agree that Recess School is out. It's a great theatrical production. Oh, 
big fan. That has a fantastic soundtrack. Probably one of the best soundtracks in a movie ever. The only one I think I remember is like Kids in America, but oh, and then the School's Out song, and then oh man, that's a yeah, good there's, one. there's so many uh, songs in that soundtrack. You look at look it up again if you get a chance. It's such a good bizarre soundtrack of like 60s and like 70s songs. Hmm. Um, I'll do that while Maverick uh, talks about Luke Cage season two. Now we brought up Luke Cage a few weeks ago when the first season first dropped on Netflix, or sorry, the second season uh, dropped on Netflix. I saw a few episodes uh, when I talked about it. But Maverick, at this point, you've seen the entire season, and you definitely have some thoughts. Tell us about it. Yeah, so um, I like I totally watched all of those Marvel Defender things out of order, right? Like I think the first oh, one yeah. I watched was it's uh, all was <laughs> Iron Fest or Iron Fist, Iron Fest, Iron Fest. Iron Fest sounds like yeah, Iron Fetish. Yeah, no, Iron Fest sounds like a like come look at our cast iron pans. Like it's just like a <laughs> it's a spinoff of Iron Chef. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway. Sorry for that horrible joke. Um, so yeah, I watched that, and then I was like, "Wow, this is cool!" And then I watched Defenders, and then I watched Jessica Jones season one, and then I watched season one of Daredevil, and then I finished Jessica Jones, and then I watched all of Luke Cage at once. So I have no timeline. I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm like, "Oh, it's Claire," and everyone's like, "Yeah, we know." Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Everyone in New York knows Claire. Yeah, I don't mean that as a, but kind of. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I was really excited to watch Luke Cage because I had watched the first episode maybe a month after it originally came out a long time ago, and um, I don't know what it was about that first episode. Maybe it just wasn't in the right mood for it or something. But I was like, "This is boring," and I didn't watch another episode until like last week. Um, and last week, I, I had heard about season two coming out, and a bunch of people at work. Uh, one of my coworkers, her boyfriend, works for Netflix, and she was talking about season two like nonstop because she got to see it a week early. And she was just talking about it, and I was like, "Okay, I'll you know I'll check it out." So I watched the first season, and I was like, "Yo, you were into it." I yeah. was so into it, and mostly like as you guys know, like music in a show is really important to me. And like when a show makes me download more than like one I, song, yeah, I feel like I told you that. Too. Yeah, you probably. I listen I like half like, the, the time when you talk is, though. Oh, it's so good in a show. So even the, like the music alone in the first season was selling me. I was like, "This is great," and. um so I was very excited to start watching season two and, and I don't know what you covered when you kind of did your, your quick little glance, but season two is, it's dope. Like it's so good. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think I liked it better than the first one, but for different reasons than I liked the first one, right? Like the first one's cool because you get a lot of this, like, you know, this, this stuff with pops and the central thing about Cottonmouth and like this kind of like family thing. Right. And like, I like what I like about season two and I don't want to give anything away is that season two takes that kind of idea of the family stuff, but like does it in a completely different way and really flips it on its head. And I really like that. Um, but man, season two is cool. I, I don't know. Like the villain is by far the best villain the, the series has had yet. Um, and it's cool because, you know, like at the end of season one, we, we're kind of curious about where Mariah is and like what, what's going to happen with her. Right. And for me at the end of season one, I was kind of over Mariah as a character. I was like, okay, let's, let's get her storyline finished up. Right. Um, so I think that the new villain that they present in season two is a good way to kind of balance the like almost dragging on feeling of Mariah's story with like, this new exciting thing and kind of bringing it all back into one big, you know, uh, cohesive thought and uh, i really like season two and i think it's definitely worth a watch for sure yeah what was your do you have a grade for it oh man so if i gave season one they're both a's for me yeah wow yeah you really like those shows I do. uh do you is it your favorite out of the uh, like defenders netflix shows or just like daredevil I, th- I still think daredevil season one is probably the the best thing 
that's happened, but like both Luke Cage seasons would probably be like my next two. Right. Yeah. And you know me, I have a weird soft spot for, for Iron Fist. I don't know why I like that terrible show so much, but like, I love it. So I see in the pictures that have been coming out for the new season. No, he wears like a yellow mask and like, uh, like in the comics and it's, it's starting up some, uh, some very th- polite conversations online. Yeah, because yeah. everything's cohesive. Everyone's super happy. No I will say right. that we get a little taste of some Danny Rand influence in the end of season two of Luke Cage. Um, and I was already like, man, I hope this is not what the next season of Iron Fist is Supposed like. Supposed to be best friends. Yeah. It's, in the comics, at least. And I think they're going for that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. But it's cool. And what I like about these Marvel things is like, I, you know, John, you're, you're a comic book guy. You, you read a lot of comic books. I, I would never was. I don't think I've ever read a, like a real comic book, right? It's just not my thing. And what's cool about this is I can go through and look up these characters and like realize like, oh, like this character is a big part of the comic books that like they've turned into. It's really cool to see how they turn these kind of characterized yeah, people. Yeah, like fun homework. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's just, it's just so different to see like what, you know, Black Mariah in the comic books is this Mariah. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, they are totally different people, but they've totally incorporated that that villain, you know, feel for her. So, um, kudos to the, you know, to the Marvel Netflix stuff. I'm really digging it. But Luke Cage was, please watch it. It's I did, super I, worth your time. Um, one of my favorite things when uh, Arrow first came out, that show on the CW. Oh yeah. I would, I, that's when I really got into reading like TV recaps because mm-hmm. you, they would be written by people who like, they had like an encyclopedia of like all the DC stuff. And I think that's a lot of fun of like doing a little bit of like research into like all the characters and all the things that they uh, incorporate. And uh, yeah, so that's Luke Cage season two. Uh, Will Asher, are you going to check this out? Yeah, I still need to catch season one, but I've been told it's very good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, you finally pulling the trigger on that one. Um, no metaphor intended. So, all right. Yeah. Next up, we have Who is America? Uh, this is something. Will, take us on a journey here. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't heard about this show, it's the new Sasha Baron Cohen project. And if that turns you off, I can understand because he's a fairly divisive comedian, especially now at this point. Um, if you don't know, he's the guy behind Borat, Bruno, the Ali G show, uh, which hosted Borat and Bruno. Um, he just kind of goes around in an eccentric, uh, character and he kind of, he's tended to kind of bring out the worst in some people through these elaborate circumstances. And for some people that's, you know, like kind of baiting these people into doing it. But I don't know, I, I've had mixed feelings, but I tend to find him at least funny and I was curious to check out this new show because I was really wondering what's he going to be like in 2018. Because the thing about Borat is I, I haven't rewatched it, but based on what the conversation about that movie is now, it seems like it's a fairly dated film that was probably relevant for its time. But now it's kind of it's like a time capsule, like we were saying before with the Mission Impossible films. Um, and so with uh, with uh, what's the show called? Who's America? Um, it's, it's, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. It's, uh, him playing, I guess, a assortment of different characters, though. The ones that tend to recur, uh, to come up the most are, there's this one guy who's like the diehard, like alt-right, kind of a parody of, um, Alex Jones and people like that. He has a site called Truth Barry, which is a pun on library. And he kind of goes around talking to these politicians and sporting all these like fabricated facts. And he goes around and tries to get people like to see these ludicrous notions of what he thinks America is. And the show bounces between 
different personalities that we know in politics. And it's had a real effect because um, in the last episode, uh, Senator has stepped down because in the one segment, Sasha Baron Cohen got him to uh, shout these like racial explosives and like pull his pants down and show his butt and do like these really wild things. I can't imagine what they must have done to get him to do that. But the show is so uh, I'm trying to think what the right word is to describe it. It's it's such um, it's it's this weird thing where I kind of see like at times like what's doing. And I think it's really great at some moments. But other times it, there's like this segment with this art gallery girl. And it seems kind of mean because like they take this character who's supposed to be like an ex felon who uh, makes these mural murals with um, his like feces and a couple other things. And she's like actually going along pre recognizing that it's odd, but being earnest about it. And they kind of make her out look like a joke. Cause she was going in with an open mind and stuff like that kind of rubs me the wrong way. But then in, in a later segment, when they get like people like Joe Walsh to um, syndicate, like, giving uh toddlers like guns and like in like they're being sincere about like doing psas for telling kids like what to do if like a shooter comes and stuff and it's so wild and that they believe it and stuff that i i could see how this is not going to be everyone's type of show but i just find it so fascinating that he's able to get these responses and these reactions from people that i'm not going to give it a grade but i've been thoroughly engaged with the show so far and i'm really curious to see where it's going to go because apparently there's going to be um a segment with sarah palin i think roy miller is going to come up and i can't imagine at this point what he's gotten from people like what's going to come next because i feel like it's only going to be more extreme if he's showing the stuff that he's shown the first two episodes so i think you mean it's wild. Roy Moore, not roy miller sorry roy Moore. sorry my bad um and i thought i'd let you know that uh nathan fielder helped direct one of the segments in the new episode but i'm not 100 sure what he did um, and we should mention that uh, I, I think you you sort of touched on this, but he doesn't just do this with uh, right wing people. Um, I think Bernie Sanders. Is yeah, yeah, the first he's episode, uh, right? he's been pretty good about tackling both sides of the equation. Like he's done very like he has this character who's like an NPR listening, self hating white man as he calls himself, who's like basically the parody of like the super left side of the equation. So he's been mm. pretty good about mixing up and not just attacking like one side of the party or the other, um, or one side the political equation or the other. He's been pretty good about mixing it back and forth and giving it somewhat of a equal share, but yeah. in some ways not. Yeah. And you know how I feel about Nathan Fielder. Uh, so it, okay. So I, I'll just say, I, I, I do not like Sasha Baron Cohen. I've never really been a fan of his work. I've never liked something that he's done. Honestly. Uh, I didn't even, I don't even like most of his cameos. Um, there's just, there's just something about his brand of comedy and who he is as a person that just doesn't agree with me. And I have had no interest in this show. I, and I, and I honestly, I, I'm not at the point where I'm telling people like actively avoid it or anything. But I, I do think that it's an example of political satire that does more harm than good. And that's just kind of where I'm at. Uh, I kind of get like how some people are fans because oh look at this they've exposed you know people that I don't agree with politically based on you know deceptively edited segments and it, I don't know I, it, it's it's a very it's a very, I think, a very problematic way to make a point about politics if that's what your, like, a, you know, object is to do. With him, I, I don't really get what he's trying to do here in some cases, and I, I'm just not on board. So I'm glad you're getting some enjoyment from it and that you're engaging with it. And uh, I think if people are interested in it, uh, you know, I, I've just made a decision not to bother. Uh, yeah, I mean, so. 
like I said, it's not for everyone. And I'll say, I don't know. I mean, based on what I've seen, it doesn't seem like the footage is actually that edited. I mean, I don't know what the original version is, but it seems to actually be pretty straight. Some, some stuff isn't, but some is. I think the, the, some of the complaints, especially with like the Joe Walsh segment in particular, was that was very deceptive. Like the what he was like saying apparently was uh, they, they kind of like tricked and goaded him into it. Um, that's just what people, I mean, I don't know for sure, but that's, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it's really hard to say. I mean, I, I don't, I think that clip you can see on YouTube and the other clip I was talking about with the Senator, like those are on YouTube. They Showtime has put them on. You can see for yourself and you can judge for yourself if they are being, you know, baited or if they're actually just showing their true selves. I think the show has been pretty good about, you know, in sparking that conversation and allowing people to like see different sides of these people and you can judge for yourself whether it's dishonest or not but i don't know i i can see where you're coming from i don't know if it's being completely sincere or not but i think it's more sincere than you're giving it credit for yeah i, I completely disagree and, <laughs> and for comedic purposes it's better but for many reasons it's pretty disheartening to see people do this stuff all right well that's who is america a little bit of division um, on this one, but uh, I mean, America's so divided right now. What did you expect? Uh, let's talk about Robin Williams' Come Inside My Mind. Uh, this is a new documentary on HBO that I saw. Uh, am I the only one who saw this? I think. Yeah. yeah. I saw you watching the last five minutes That's of it. That's right. You did. I, I saw this like right before um, we recorded today. So, Robin Williams' Come Inside My Mind is a documentary about. Of course, Robin Williams, his life, his filmography, his stand-up comedy, and his unfortunate tragic death and in uh, 2014. It's, it's just been a few years now since that all went down. And, you know, uh, I should uh, mention, too, this was directed by Marina Zenovich, who is uh, – we have another – it's been a great week for female directors, actually. Um, and this is another good example. But I think this one – this particular uh, documentary like just came out last week. But So – I, I come out in a lot of ways with documentaries. I think this, this is like RBG, where it really is like a very flattering portrayal of somebody's life. Uh, it definitely comes on the side of like very positive about Robin Williams, um, but obviously very honest about what he dealt with, uh, his drug addiction, uh, his drinking. And, you know, you learn a lot about him. Like over the course of the documentary, you hear a lot of narration, a lot of like his friends and family, people who don't have a reason to say really nice things about him, saying nice things about him, uh, including his kids, his, uh, I, th- I think just one of his kids, but uh, his first wife. Um, there are some people like his second wife uh, and others who don't appear in this documentary, which is very interesting, but his co-star from Mork and Mindy. And you, you really, you get an interesting look at the life of somebody who was just larger than life, you know, and a lot of, for a lot of us listening, we, we grew up on Robin Williams. We grew up on the genie from Aladdin. We grew up on Mrs. Doubtfire. We grew up on, it really was a huge, huge filmography. I was telling you Maverick before uh, the show that, you know, dead poet society, one of my all time favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think ev- everyone should see that movie at some point. I, I think it's wonderful. And I, he has such a, you know, career defining set of scenes in that. I mean, there's so many like you can choose from, you know, and, it is an interesting career, I, and I was. It, it, it's great to watch the documentary as a fan of his, as somebody who was very sad that he committed suicide. Um, and th- there were factors around his suicide involving Parkinson's. Um, there are a lot of theories on how it happened. Um, that um, I, I don't know, like 
what is really true and like what if people just want to believe what they want to believe you're gonna say well i was gonna say i think that was the initial report but they later found out it was actually alzheimer's well, early onset alzheimer's the the documentary kind of fleshes light on like different theories yeah and I, I, nothing sounds definitive but uh I, yeah well, I, I think that's what his doctor said i i'll explain later but yeah go ahead um regardless uh it's sad that he passed obviously and he was dealing with just just a lot of issues a lot of like really tough things like toward the end of his career he had a show that just really didn't go anywhere and i think his last good movie they they touch on it in here it's probably the world's greatest dad um, yeah just kind of a dark indie comedy that you know it came out and it was i think a lot better than people expected especially from him and um he, he had a bunch of movies after that some pos- posthumous roles like i know a lot of people love like night of museum for example i think he he has a fantastic presence in that you know as a side character but as far as a movie where he is like the star i think uh, world's greatest dad this is this documentary is a good reminder of his career and some things to watch and um, and I saw a lot of his stand-up for the first time through this documentary. I, I never really, I don't think I've ever watched a full stand-up special of Robin Williams. Yeah, I don't um, think I have either. Oh, I, um, I'll look up the title, but there was um, a 2002 special, which was one of the first uh, stand-up specials I remember watching, mm. not only all the way through, but over and over again. That was like one of my formative stand-up specials. Right, yeah, there's a few he did in the 2000s that I do remember seeing over the years, but yeah, I don't think I've ever actually watched it from beginning to end. And uh, it's very dirty comedy. Um, yeah, very live on very Broadway. funny stuff. Well, yeah, live on Broadway was the one I was talking about. But yeah, I, I recommend this documentary. I, I think that uh, anyone who has any sort of interest in the life of just one of our one of our definitive actors and comedians, um, you know, he'll he'll. I think there, there's a line in the movie about how you know he will forever live in our hearts, and I, I just think that's true. He just kind of captured the imagination of multiple generations and. It's 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 one of those years. It's not quite a uh, uplifting or kind of informative documentary. It's probably something like "Won't You Be My Neighbor," um, I, and it's not investigative and kind of eye opening like Three Identical Strangers. And it's also not as like politically relevant and kind of socially relevant as something like RBG. So it doesn't. It falls sort of into like the latter half of documentaries for me this year. But I still recommend checking it out. I give it a B, and uh, it's on HBO right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely planning to check it out. I was actually going to check it out um, after I finished the book that uh, Dave Iscoff, the New York Times writer, wrote called mm-hmm. Robin. I've heard uh, that's he fantastic. A, it's really good so far. Um, and I think if you like the film a lot, that I would highly recommend reading it just based on what I've read. Because it really, I think it does like what you're saying, but it kind of fleshes it out and you get more of a perspective on his life and legacy. And um, I think it's really going to be heartbreaking by the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, I misspoke. It was actually dementia, I believe. Uh, not Alzheimer's that he was suffering from. At it the was end of his like life. Lewy body disease. And I think it all is like related to each other because he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and yeah, they do mention dementia in the movie as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it probably related to his uh, drug addiction early in his life. Um, but yeah. it's hard to say. Um, also San Francisco, he, he uh, not native, I guess they, his family moved to San Francisco uh, when he was a teenager and uh, he's a, definitely a big deal in the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, it was kind of, I don't know, there, there are scenes in here that really paint SF in a certain light that I found very touching personally, but uh, uh, as my new home. But anyway, that's Robin Williams come inside my mind. Definitely worth checking out. And uh, last up, Will, we, we finally got to it. A movie that yeah. 
we've been wanting you to talk about for a while, but every week something happens. Please tell us everything we need to know about Damsel, a new indie film. Yeah, I feel like this is like, um, you know those segments in uh, Saturday Night Live with the uh, What Up With That with Lindsay Buckingham? Where he keeps <laughs> yeah. getting like, yeah, that's how I feel like with Damsel. Like every episode it keeps me to come up and it's like, oh, we ran out of time. Um, <laughs> it really is. Isn't that how the uh, whole uh, Matt Damon, Jimmy Kimmel thing started? Was Kimmel was just like, oh, we oh, ran yeah. out of time. Sorry, Matt Damon. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was like a one-off joke that spawned this whole running gag. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I finally can talk about Damsel now. This is the new movie with uh, Robert Pattinson uh, and Maya Wachowski, among others. It's um, Wazikowski. Or Wazika- what's Wazikowska. Yeah, I can never pronounce that right. Um, but it's – I'm blanking on their names right now, but they're two – Brothers who also made uh, Kimiko the Treasure Hunter a the couple Zoner years ago. Brothers, yeah, David and Nathan. Yeah, with Rico Kikuchi, which is a really good movie. Um, this movie, it's it's a little more satirotic than that movie. That was a little more like uh, Do you mean satirical. Was, what's that? Did you say satirotic? Did I misspeak? Do you mean is satiric? That... It's like satirical? Yeah, I think that's why I meant. Okay, can... I was like, what is that word? Because it sounds yeah, like satire so... and erotic, and I was like, what is yeah, this? Sometimes erotic I just make satire? up words, and I see if it can get away with it. We're writers, um, whatever. Yeah, it's it's more satirical. It's it's like an old west kind of comedy that uh, I I don't know why I can really give away or not, but the general premise of it is that Robert Pattinson is like this kind of he's painted as like a pretty sincere guy who rounds up this uh, drunken priest to marry. Uh, his girl, his fiance, and there she lives like way out. And as they go along, you realize that like things aren't quite adding up, and like his story isn't really checking out. And then you realize that he may not be exactly who he presents himself to be. I won't give away too much other than that, but um, it's ultimately a weird sort of commentary on uh, toxic masculinity and um, different shades of that. And I think. In my opinion, what really stands out about this movie is like it's kind of a companion piece to a movie we really liked last year called Good Time. And that movie also kind of explored toxic masculinity in a fairly interesting light. And when I see this film and that film, it reminds me a lot of Robert De Niro's uh, chain with um, Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy, where both films are kind of exploring different things, but in way different ways. And uh, this movie, I think he's fantastic. I think just like in Good Time, this is probably one of his best performances. It really shows that he is probably one of the best working actors at this point, mainly because he's just picking these interesting roles that play to his strengths and weirdness and uh, is showing him these different shades of him where he can be really just out there more so than he was with the Twilight films, which ultimately established him as an actor. Um, I I feel bad because I don't want to give away too, too much because I just want people to experience this film. But the main reason I want to talk about it is because I just think it's kind of getting under the radar, especially compared to Good Time. I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about it, but it really stood out to me. I think it's funny, but it's also kind of bittersweet and sad. And ultimately, I think it's a really timely movie that I think a lot of people are going to enjoy. So I gave it a B plus. It's also really shot well. And I think if you like Westerns that are a little off kilter and are willing to be weird and say something that you don't usually see in this genre, I think you're really going to respond to this movie. Yeah, I'm extremely excited to see it. I'm eagerly waiting for it to show up on on demand or streaming somewhere because uh, it, it kind of came and went in the Bay Area. Uh, I wasn't right. able to catch yeah. a, a screening, so I'm, I'm pretty bummed out about that. I've really been looking forward to it. And uh, especially, I feel like the last thing I saw Mia Wasikowska in was uh, that Alice in Wonderland sequel, which just, that just yeah, bummed me bad. out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's Damsel. Uh, I definitely want to check this out. I, I'm I'm in for a slapstick kind of Western 
kind of weird indie thing. Uh, that sounds like yeah. Fun. I mean, that, that's that's certainly one way to describe it. But just know it gets a lot sadder as it oh, goes I'm along. I'm it's, not, it's not like a complete hoot. I'll just <laughs> say that much. All right. Well, that'll do it for mini reviews. Uh, let's close out the show real quick with movies that are coming out next week. Uh, here, there are just a few wide releases, um, but there's a lot, a lot of indie movies coming out. So we'll go through this pretty quick. But uh, first up, we have Christopher Robin, which uh, I'm supposed to see tomorrow, I think. And uh, this is, of course, the latest Disney movie. It's hitting wide release this Friday. It was directed by Mark Forster. Uh, you might know him from Finding Neverland, Stranger Than Fiction, Kite Runner, uh, Quantum of Solace, which we mentioned Spectre earlier, the uh, the James Bond film right before Sam Mendes took over. He also did Machine Gun Preacher, which I never saw, and uh, World War Z, which I kind of like, uh, a bunch of other films. Ugh. And uh, I I know, I know. We've, I think we've talked that about That was an audible ugh. Uh, <laughs> I thought World War Not Z. Not a fan of that movie. I love the book. Um, and I, thought the I heard the book's very good. Was, the book is definitely worth reading, actually. Uh, but Christopher Robin, this is uh, the late. It's a live action reintroduction of Winnie the Pooh, um, but it takes place when Christopher Robin is an adult now, played by Ewan McGregor, and uh, he's a family man, you know, but not like Nicolas Cage family man. He seems a little more subdued, and uh, he reencounters Pooh Bear and all the other uh, Hundred Acre Wood characters. Um, the main cast also includes. Uh, Haley Atwell, Mark Atiste, Adrian Scarborough, a few others, and the voices include Jim Cummings uh, as Winnie the Pooh, of course. Uh, Chris O'Dowd plays uh, voices Tigger. Uh, Toby Jones as the Owl. Peter Capaldi as Rabbit, and Sofia Canito as Kanga, and Nick Muhammad as Piglet. And uh, I'm pretty excited about this one. I really want to see it. It was written by Alex Ross Perry, yep. and uh, it's based on a. It's based on, of course, uh, the A. Milne. Um, 1926 stories but yeah obviously like redone a bit uh, there were some story credits with Alison Schrader and Tom McCarthy uh, you may remember who directed Spotlight so mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I'm looking forward to this one uh, are, you, are you engaged are you ready to see this Will I feel like we're going to see this uh, pretty soon too right yeah well I, I have a screen on Tuesday but unfortunately I don't think I'll be able to make it but I'm going to see it when I can um, it, it's weird because we were talking about Ron Williams this does have kind of like a hook feel to it as opposed to yeah, uh, a little bit. Peter Pan and this Robin is, is in the title yeah, like 30 years later or something like that. And Teen uh, Titans I guess... Go was about Robin getting his own movie. There's so many Robins this week. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be curious to see how it compares to the um, Dom Hill Gleason one we got, which is more of like a straightforward biopic about the yeah, creator. Yeah, Goodbye Christopher Robin, which is you can actually watch right now on HBO if you have on Yeah, streaming. it's an it's an all right movie. I, I think it's worth watching if you're a fan, but I don't think it's like a must-see. But mm. I'm definitely curious to see how this one turns out because I can see it being really good and I can see it being not great. Yeah. And uh, I don't know where it's going to stand. All right. Uh, we also have Darkest Minds, which is a new wide release from 20th Century Fox. I think earlier I said 21st Century Fox, and I got confused. I'm sorry. Uh, Darkest. Well, I think that's their official name now, right? Is it? I, I think they're still 20th. I don't know. It's about to change. I think they in like changed it, days. but they just go by 20th Century Fox now for some reason. Yeah. All right. Well, regardless, Darkest Minds is a new kind of YA uh thing and i skipped my screening for this and i'm hearing positive things actually uh it's directed by south korean filmmaker jennifer Yoon nelson uh who also worked on she directed uh kung fu panda 2 and 3 i'm not the biggest yeah. fans of those movies but i am interested to see her do live action uh this is her debut for that uh and the screenplay is written by chad hodge and it's based on the novel by alexander bracken 
Um, so this story, it's set just after a disease kills almost all of America's children. The surviving 2% develop superpowers and are placed in camps. It's kind of got like a hero's vibe. And the story follows a 16-year-old girl who escapes the camp and joins a group of other teens on the run. So a lot of people have called it like a, a mix between like X-Men and Gifted and stuff like that. And uh, Games. And a what? Isn't it seems like it's probably inspired by Hunger Games, like with kids dying. Yeah, it's got that kind of thing too, for sure. Yeah. Um, so the the cast includes Amanda Stenberg, uh, Stenberg Mandy Moore, Harris Dickinson, Wallace Langham, and quite a few others, uh, including Gwendolyn Christie, um, who is fresh off of the Star Wars franchise and Game of Thrones. Um, I, I'm gonna see this one because I'm hearing some some buzz. But uh, what about you? Will are you checking it out? Yeah, I actually have a screening on Wednesday, and I'm probably going to be able to go that one i'm mostly curious just because the director i did really enjoy those kung fu panda sequels i know you're not a fan as you said but i still like I don't know. they're not bad movies at all I, I i enjoy them and not as much as most people i guess yeah I, I just i think they're just generally really good sequels but um yeah i don't know the trailers aren't really wowing me it just looks kind of generic to me mm-hmm. like kind of your run-of-the-mill young adult adaptation but i'm willing to be surprised like i said the director's other two films were movies i like so i'm hoping that goodwill can be extended to this film Right on. Uh, ne- the last wide release is The Spy Who Dumped Me. Um, this is from Lionsgate, and it was originally supposed to come out uh, a month ago. Not a month ago, a few weeks ago. And I, I saw it the other day. Uh, we're, we're, we had a conversation. I, I, we decided it was best for me to save this for mini-reviews next week. This is directed by Susanna Fogel, uh, who, who worked on Life Partners, uh, directed that film, and the TV series Chasing Life uh, was also written by Susanna Fogel along with David Iserson. And so this is a, a riff on, of course, the movie The Spy Who Loved Me, the James Bond film from the 70s. And it's Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. They lead, uh, Justin Theroux is also in this, uh, Gillian Anderson and Ivana Sakano, Sam Hugan, and Hassan Minaj, who I really loved his, uh, his Netflix special last year. Uh, and he... I, I really like him in this movie. This movie, I'll, I'll just say this. Um, it's extremely dark. Uh, like, you you said, like, Teen Titans has some dark humor, and I agree. This movie is, like, gory action. Like, some really messed up stuff happens in this. And so, really like, Spy? Really better, it's much, 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 much more than that. Because it, it's not just a language thing. It's, like... Some, well, Spy got pretty graphic. This one's more. This one's more graphic, I think. It has been okay. a while since I've seen Spy, but and I think I prefer this to Spy, honestly. Um, I don't expect this movie winning any critic, Critics' Choice Awards. Um, it's bonkers. <laughs> it's insane. It's the first thirty minutes. I almost walked out. I wasn't into it. I was just like, okay, this is too much. But once it, it has a certain action scene, and like once you get what this movie is, it's a stoner action comedy. But like it doesn't advertise as that, and what you don't realize that going in. So like the logic and the rules of this like universe, they just didn't make any sense. And I was just like, this is just dumb. This just feels like it wasn't no thought was put into it. But then it picks up and it becomes something just kind of breezily entertaining. And there's some shock humor in here that I'm not going to forget anytime soon, and some action in here that is just like brutal. Like we're talking Deadpool brutal. Uh, so. I, I don't know. I kind of recommend this <laughs> to anybody who's kind of interested in, in what I've just described, but uh, I have a feeling not everyone's going to be a fan. I kind of was. Uh, well, I'll talk about it more next week, and uh, I, I'm curious. Will, I, I don't want to say you should see this, but if you do, I hope we, I, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, you certainly sold me more than the trailers, which honestly look pretty dour. 
but yeah, the um, trailers are terrible. Um, yeah, I, I mean, think you might it, appreciate aspects of this. It's there's some yeah, clever I mean, stuff in here. What you're telling me is much more interesting than what the trailers was, which looked kind of generic and you know, like just your average kind of comedy with spies in it. But mm-hmm. so it's it's more. Uh, uh, it's so I guess it's not so much like Johnny English. It's a little darker and weirder and more adult rated than that. Right. It's got sort of the it's got the absurdity of Johnny English, but with yeah the very dark humor, very some really just we'll talk about it. Um, okay, so the next we have Searching, uh, which is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's finally hitting a limited release. It's it's a very very limited release next week, so we'll talk about it more later. But uh, it it should be hitting. A, uh, a wider limited release uh, so more theaters obviously uh, later in August I think like August 24th but uh, I've talked about this one on the show before it's from Anisha Gatti and he's, it's his first film um, this is the uh, like unfriended found footage film that premiered at Sundance it's fantastic it's like a murder mystery kind of thing not murder mystery but like kidnap mystery and it's like it might be a murder and uh, John Cho stars uh, it's excellent it's wonderful if you can catch this I'm one I'm so excited to if see you live movie. in like New York LA go see Searching it's it's gonna be well with your time is it gonna be around here um, it, I don't think it's gonna be in the Bay Area this week but hopefully in the next couple weeks yeah I need um, it I can't wait to see it again I'm very excited Will do you know when you're gonna be able to check this one out I don't. I, I'm not sure when it's coming near me, but I'm definitely excited to see it based on everything you've said about it. So it's, uh, it's on my radar. Sony, so uh, hopefully they're going to be yeah hooking up um, some screenings pretty soon. Uh, and then next we have Miseducation of Cameron Post, which uh, I like this film. This is a good one. Um, this is uh, a new limited release from FilmRise, they, the same studio behind my friend Dahmer and Marjorie Prime and Manifesto. Uh, a few movies I think you and I have talked about, Will. Uh, and it's directed by Desiree Akavan. So again, really great week for female directors. Uh, this is her second film, and uh, she's uh, she also co-wrote this with Cecilia Fergilli. And I, I like this one. I, it just it premiered at Sundance. Not everyone's a big fan, but it, it won the Grand Jury Prize despite a lot of people not loving it. Um, Chloe Grace Moretz stars in this as a girl named Cameron who is sent to a gay conversion therapy center in the '90s. Um, and she kind of like makes friends there and tries to figure out like who she is. And, uh, it's, it's like a pray away the gay sort of thing. And, uh, man, Quinn Shepard is also in this Jennifer Eel and Sasha Lane is just, uh, it's a great, great performance from her. I know a lot of people have been, you know, really rooting for her to get some great roles since her, her performance in American Honey. So John Gallagher Jr. is kind of haunting in this and, uh, I really recommend it. Uh, again, Will, uh, do you, do, is this one on your radar? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed Appropriate Behavior. I don't know if you've seen it or not. but No, no, no. That's definitely a movie worth watching. I think you'd like it a lot. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, the cast is good. I'm certainly interested based on the trailer I saw. And it's going to be interesting to see this one uh, come so close to Boy Erased, which is kind of a similar concept, but from a different perspective. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, um, an, it's an enthusiastic B for me, and I, I have a feeling um, I, I have a feeling I'm going to like that movie too. The, the other one with Timmy Chalamet, but uh, or wait, no, not Chalamet. No, Who, that's uh, Luke, Lucas Hedges. That's right, that's right. Um, I just can't I can't keep straight with like all of these rising you know twenty something actors. And then last up, we have Never Going Back, which is another stoner comedy. Uh, this is a teen stoner comedy. It's uh, going to be hitting limited release. It's a twenty four. Uh, their latest film, they, their summer is just it's one thing after another, I guess. Uh, another female director, Augustine Frizzle. Uh, this is her feature debut, and uh, she's done some short films before. Um, this this has been getting just rave reviews. Sundance, South by Southwest, 
people are loving this one. I'm really looking forward to it. It's about a couple of uh, high school dropouts who take off, who take a week off from work to chill at the beach, and then they get robbed and they go broke and they have to uh, get into some situations that are less than ideal. It stars Maya Mitchell and Camilla Marone as the star, uh, Maroney, I should say. And uh, Kyle Mooney is in this as well. So I cannot wait to see this, but I don't know when it's going to be hitting the Bay Area. Um, are you going to be, is, is it going to be hitting Pittsburgh? Well, you know, uh, I hope so. I saw a trailer for it before first reformed, I remember. So it, it's probably going to come near me. I just don't know when. Um, hopefully we'll be able to talk about it soon. Um, I, don't, I have a feeling it's going to be the Brigsby Bear of this year because Kyle Mooney, uh, obviously. That's uh, high praise. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it then for movies coming out next week. Quite a lot to get to, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch most of these. Um, I guess I've caught three of these so far. And uh, I guess Christopher Robin, that's our featured review. That's it. Should be fun. Um, but that'll do it for us this week on Cinema Hobbs. Thanks as always for listening. If you like our show, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher and all the other podcast formats. Uh, hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter. You can find our social pages in the show notes below. We also have links to everything that you can imagine, like becoming a patron with Cinemaholics and uh, donating to support the show. And uh, you can email us anytime. Uh, send us your questions. Uh, we're doing our Q&A soon. Uh, CinemaholicsPodcast at gmail.com. Again, you can find all this information in the show notes. With that, we'll see you later from the Internet California. I am John Agroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. And back from the broadband basement, I'm Maverick Hines. Go back to the basement, Maverick. We'll see you next time. See you in six weeks. <laughs>